Hello, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. Hello there. Hello. How are we feeling today? We are feeling all right. (laughs) We've been dealing with technical difficulties, but we have sorted it out, and here we are. I feel like the 5th of July is just a day for like, I don't know, sleep. No one, no one, nothing is working hard today. (laughs) No one showed up to the office. I showed up to the office. My boss was like, you can go home. So I was like, that's annoying that no one's working. Everyone's out sick today. Our computers aren't working. The Wi-Fi is not working. No one wants to work these days. days. I don't want to work these days. Yeah. So I think, I think we're both feeling a little, a little, we're just there, and that's okay. It's good to be honest. It's good to not mm-hmm. lie. And we're both okay. Mm-hmm. We're all right. We're just here being honest. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. <laughs> um, what did you do for the fourth? How was your weekend? It was good. Um, Maddie came to town, so we had some yeah. friends here, and we did bottomless mimosas on Saturday, oh. and then we like went to the bay, and there was like a boat party. And then we tried to go to the bars, but I don't have a driver's license, so they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> and then on, yeah, and then I went to the beach with my roommates. And then yesterday, my roommates and I um, did like board games in Kate Sessions, which like overlooks all of San Diego Ooh. with a nice little nice little view. And so we did board games and watched the fireworks. So it's actually like pretty calm. I just feel drained from all the socializing. Maybe like I'm just not ready mm-hmm. to get back in the in the whole work vibe. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to my sister about how I feel like sometimes the holidays where you like don't have a plan and you're just like, oh, like whatever happens will happen is Mm -hmm. nice because you have so much less pressure on it that like anything you end up doing is way more fun. Yeah. Also, sometimes if you're like, oh, I'm going to go to this like huge party and then go to Newport and then like if you have like all of these fun things planned, Mm -hmm. Then it's like, oh, it's probably going to lay you down. <laughs> At least that's my opinion. I don't know if I'm just getting older or if, like, this is how everyone feels. But I was shocked on Monday, even though it was the 4th and we have work on Tuesday, that when I went to the gym, it was packed. I was like, shouldn't everyone be, like, binge drinking? Because last year, if you would have told me that not everyone and their mom binge drink all day on the fourth regardless of whatever day of the week it was i would have been like that's wrong everyone does that on the fourth of july doesn't matter if you have work the next day everyone does and so yesterday when i was like wow i feel like actually not that many people are doing that and everyone is kind of like chilling today i was i was so i was like i'm growing this is this is growth. <laughs> the universe is growing. Everyone's growing. Uh-huh. Yeah, we we went out on the boat and like we were blown away with how empty the lake was. Cuz usually it's just like crazy crowded party boat city. Mhm. And it really didn't get busy. Like I don't know what it was. People just were were going gently into this 4th of July. We boated from my house to this like bay that overlooks the Bellevue skyline. It's like a city next to Seattle. And they have a huge fireworks show by the Bellevue skyline. So we like watched the fireworks from the boat. It was so fun. We made like burgers for dinner and it was a very like wholesome, chill day. Mm-hmm. The whole weekend was fun. Kai's friends came up, just good energy, but yeah, definitely exhausted. I didn't drink at all. And so I can't blame it on the alcohol. 
I'm pretty sure just socializing is like 50% of the hangover because I was like fully hungover one of the days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't drink last night. Why do I feel like legitimately hungover? Yeah. Like so tired. My head hurt. I was like, I think you're just talking to people for so long. I had a long, I, this morning I was like, I got to take it slow this morning. So I like didn't listen to any podcasts. I didn't listen to any music. I like drove to what did I have to do? I don't know. I had to run an errand and I didn't listen to music in the car. I was like, I just need to like meditate. Oh, I went to core power. Mm-hmm. And I like went to a hot power fusion class and just like sweat and like laid on the floor and stretched around. And I was like, this is what my like soul needs. And then Kai came home and I was like, I honestly still don't have the energy to talk. Like <laughs> I was like, let's watch a show because I don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the energy that I needed, but I didn't didn't lean into that today. I just said, mm-hmm. fuck it. Just, just no. <laughs> I just didn't listen no. to my body and did not give my body what yeah. it wanted today. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes that's what the brain wants. This week's convo was really fun. We met with Brooke Carter and it was so, I don't know, it's just great. She's a young professional and author of a book called Professional which she calls the guide to surviving your freshman year of professional life. And it's really interesting. She has a really cool story of like how she thought of the book title first and like manifested kind of bringing this book to life. And it's really helpful. It like, it's interesting how many little things when you go into corporate life, you don't realize that you don't know. And then you go and you're like, Oh, I don't know anything. There's like a whole culture and like language that I don't know. And so the book literally goes into like, how to use Outlook, like how to frame an email, how to like what tone you should be using, which like as someone who has to delete smiley faces and exclamation marks from every single email I send, it's honestly all helpful. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What was your favorite part of the combo? Well, first of all, I was just blown away that she's only like a year older than us. Her mm-hmm. wisdom, <laughs> I, I was like, you have to be like in your 30s to one, like learn all of this and then to spend the time to gather your thoughts to make a whole book about it that actually yeah. is good and intriguing and has like key points to take away. I wish I had this book two years ago when I entered the workforce. I have learned a lot of them, a lot of these lessons through like rude awakenings, and it would have been nice if someone would have given this to me like post graduation. I think this is a really good gift if you know someone who's graduating. Or, like, Mm -hmm. know someone who's struggling with that transition. So, like, all of us, because that's how I made this whole podcast, is because we're struggling with the transition. So, this is a good resource for literally anyone who's in a career. It doesn't even have to be young in career. It could be young, but, like, some people never learn these things and struggle through their careers their entire lives because they don't know how to, like, stand up for themselves or just present themselves in the workplace properly. And, um... Yeah, I just, I, it was enlightening to talk to her and made me realize that there are some ways I could go about like navigating my work relationships better and like standing up for myself, even the workplace, even now. I thought that I was like, I know now, but talking to her, I was like, you know what? There is more that I still need to work on in the workplace and like I can stand up for myself and be stronger. And I've been removing those smiley faces and removing those exclamation points and changing my (laughs) tone just to like, you know, demand the respect that I deserve because 
We're smart and talented young women who any company would be lucky to have us. So switching my mind, my mind set <laughs> to that. One of the things she's like, she's very authentically herself. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't nervous, but I was like, oh, maybe she's gonna be like very like stern and all of the things that I kind of see in like successful business people. And she's gonna just tell me like, oh, your whole personality isn't great for like a career in the corporate world, you know? But she is totally bubbly and awesome. And like, I think she has found a great balance of like, here are the ways it's important to stand up for yourself and like be authentic. And I like that she talked about, she talks about like over communicating and how to avoid like work anxiety. And those are all things that I, I struggle with at work and so it was nice to like I didn't feel like her approach is unattainable or something for like a specific personality type it's very like authentic to your own self and she does a great job of like sharing the information and so it was super fun to talk to her really really helpful for both of us I know I liked when we were talking about like mental health in the workplace and I was like, how do you address that with your boss? Because that's something I really struggle with. And she like gave all these answers. But then she was like, also, another thing you could do is just like not address it at all. She's like, even if it does affect your, your performance, like it's not your responsibility to bring that up. If someone thinks that you're struggling in the workplace and they feel the need to like bring up your performance, then you can tell them. But you don't even it's not your job to like divulge that. You don't have to say that, you know. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, that's a good yeah. advice. Just also just do nothing because you don't have to do anything about it. Knowing that you have all of the options and you can just do nothing if the thought of doing something is stressing you out. Yeah, I really, she was great. We had a great time. We hope you enjoy. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, Brooke. Thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm great. It's Wednesday evening in Seattle, you know, never been better. I'm super excited to be here. If you want to kick it off, just kind of going into what you've been doing since you've been graduated. Also, if you want to talk about what you majored in, that would be wonderful. All right. So in college, I went to the school at the University of Georgia, which is located in Athens, Georgia. Uh, originally grew up southeast from there. So for me, UGA was a huge move, um, five and a half hours away, really big school, um, so that in itself was a cool experience. When I was there, I majored in management. Uh, specifically, I got a degree in human resources analytics. That was the track that I chose within management. When I graduated, I joined a small fintech company based in New York City and you know, started with a big move to college, had to top that after the fact, embarked on what I thought was going to be this beloved career in HR. Um, you know, I've always considered myself to be a people person. I love people, um, love talking. So this uh, being on a podcast is a perfect fit. And, you know, I loved business. So I grew up working in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And um, when I got to school, I'm like, how the heck am I going to marry the two? You know, I love people. I love business and operational related things. And then I found the HR certificate within management. And I said, oh, this is me. Got to New York, started out in recruiting specifically within the HR domain. I uh, did that for a bit, realized uh, I won't get too far into that because um, I'm sure we'll touch on that when we talk about the book, but um, just realized that I my interests 
applied elsewhere and transitioned into a technical project management role supporting our that organization, the same company, um, same fintech firms, data science vertical. So that's when I learned a lot about the world of technology, data science, AI and ML. Also what I realized like my love and passion in a very weird way um, is project management, uh, specifically like process efficiency related stuff. And now I'm at Uber uh, doing a little bit of kind of a hybrid of the two, really. I manage our machine learning education program, which kind of balances or marries my program management. And I ran similar boot camps in my HR days for uh, coding related boot camps and then um, some of my AI and ML project management skills. So that's what I've been up to uh, professionally since graduation. Do you want to get into how you wrote your book and like how that came to be? I feel like that's got to be such a labor of love. I'd love to hear how that journey kicked off. Yeah. Yeah. I always forget to mention like I published a book. I was just saying, I just had my 25th birthday and I said to a friend, I'm like, God, I'm 25 and I don't, I feel like I haven't done anything. They're like, um, hello, you published a book last year. And I'm like, kind of slips Kind of slips my mind, but um, yeah, so professional. Um, this book means so much to me. So I had the idea. Um, okay, so I kind of breezed through like my whole journey. And I'm sure both of you can relate and a lot of people listening can relate if any move associated with your first full time role just amplifies kind of all of the stress and anxiety and learning curve that comes with that post-collegiate transition to working, um, you know, it's enough to do it in the same place where you were going to school, the same place where you have a lot of friends staying, but to pick up and go through this transition and isolation in a brand new city is really hard. And um, I absolutely love my time in New York City. I could not have picked a better place to go following graduation, but you know, it was difficult. I graduated a semester early from my friends. So dead of winter, January 2019, when people were still, you know, going to spring parties, I was starting full-time work in a place where I didn't really know anybody and just trying to figure it all out. So um, with that, I found myself, I, I reflect and ruminate a lot, sometimes good, sometimes too much. I thought to myself often, like, man, I wish, I wish I had known all the things that were slapping me in the face, left, right, and center. Cause I was somebody who came into working full time, who had had several internships. I did a six month co op internship prior to heading into the workforce. So, you know, you feel like you start to have the hang of it after internships. And I felt totally unprepared for a lot of the kind of subtext, I guess, that comes with starting a full time job and struggle with that and wish I had had the information on the front end, you know, had something that I could have proactively read or listened to or somebody talked to, and I would have known the things to ask and look for. So that's kind of context. And then, you know, after about eight or nine months of working, I remember the day I had the thought professional come into my head. And it was just this weird word. And I was like, okay, I'm going to jot this down on my iPhone. And I said, you know, this would be a really cool title for a book um, because I feel like a freshman all over again. Like I had spent four years kind of figuring out this college thing and getting really good at it. And then I'm back to square one. Like I'm just weird and I'm awkward and I don't know who I am. And it's just, it's you know, history is repeating itself. And as I was completing my first 
few years of working, I just anytime something that happened that I thought would make good content for this title, this book, this concept, I would just jot it in this running iPhone list. And I had um, a pretty long list going. And in January 2021, I went skiing, I tore my ACL MCL meniscus. Um, I had to go out on four months of disability leave to deal with some other medical challenges that came with that. And I had a lot of issues with like circulation, blood clot that made the healing process a lot more complicated. The medical procedure itself were complicated. So that was kind of when I said, all right, you know, I've been sitting on this idea for a really long time. And I have four months of, you know, yeah, healing, but also like watching Criminal Minds and the Great British Baking Show. So I'm like, what can I do to like make the most of this, I guess? I hated when people would say that to me <laughs> at the time, but that's, you know, it, it wasn't bad advice. So that was when I really had the opportunity to hunker down and without interruption, churn this thing out. So that was towards the beginning of last year when I kind of took took to the pen and paper or the keyboard and uh, really started writing this thing. I noticed you said you graduated in 2019 winter. So that means you moved to New York in early 2020, right when COVID hit. And I feel like we were talking about, well, one, moving to a, a new city, a new state, and starting a full-time job right before COVID hit sounds like terrifying. So how did you navigate like just starting a new job, but then also in a pandemic, like you got a few months of in office and then you didn't? Like that sounds so scary. I would love to hear more about how you like navigated that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I misled. Um, I graduated December 2018 and moved January 2019. Oh, okay, okay. But can still just, you know, throw in an answer because, yeah, the pandemic definitely, it, the pandemic even changed the writing schedule. Like a lot of things, there are a few references and I tried to make them general enough in the book to where it wouldn't date itself. But yeah, that definitely even changed the advice that I had initially jotted down for professional versus what I ended up writing out in 2021 when I actually started formulating more details. But yeah, pandemic working, um, I did at, during that time was when I was making that career change from human resources and recruiting to data science project management. So while, you know, not embarking on my first journey ever, I was mid-pandemic 2020, trying to make this transition from what I was currently doing to, you know, a totally different set of responsibilities, totally different team. This team was very global, whereas I was focused primarily on US and CAN before. So a lot of changes. And actually, working from home really played to my advantage during that time, because I feel like it was before, you know, it was so early on where there was novelty to working from home and I was super energized. I'm like, this is great. I'm saving time on commute and I can work for 16 to 18 hours so I can do both jobs at one time. And, you know, I don't recommend anybody ever do that ever, but it was the only way I could really like make sure this transition got executed, you know, as quickly as I wanted, whether for good, bad, or indifferent, I'm kind of impatient. And so um, that the timing of, you know, very early pandemic, um, and the total shift in working actually played to my favor. I know that may sound horrible saying for something that was, you know, the pandemic is just very hard on a lot of people. But yeah, I guess that was my silver lining of it all is it gave me plenty of time to focus 
I'm just curious, like, what is your advice and how, how do you think people can best handle, I mean, we've been in work from home, but like, for example, my company is going hybrid. I work at Microsoft and they're at hybrid work. And I have a lot of flexibility on whether I can work from home or work from the office, which is great, but also a lot of flexibility is kind of ambiguous and stressful in its own ways. So what is your advice for people who are trying to balance like being work from home or being hybrid or transitioning back into the office? Yeah, yeah, that's a really a really tricky, you know, we're we're at a very tricky time just all of us, you know, I similarly work for a large corporation and seeing how hybrid plays out is really interesting. I think the advice I would have from, so I'll go for, I'll, I'll answer this from two perspectives. First, advice to you as an individual from like your, what's personally going to work best for you and like how to manage that. And then kind of um, when you're thinking about other people who might be doing the same thing. So I'd say advice that I have is you figuring out what hybrid looks like for you personally, just radical transparency with your manager and your colleagues. That hasn't bitten me yet. I would say, and, um, you know, it's all to the degree of comfort that you have, but something that I bring up quite frequently in the book is like, you just got to let people know where you're at. And there are several different contexts where I bring this up, but we're all people, like we all show up to work and we put on these hats and we do the professional thing and we send out agendas and we button up, but like really at the end of the day, like we are all people, we all have cats and dogs who are going to bark in the background while we're recording. And, you know, we have gotten acclimated to being able to have freedom and flexibility. And so just being frank with your employers, I think is just the best thing that you can do for yourself. So letting your manager know, Hey, okay, for me, hybrid work is coming in at 10am because it's really important that I do all my shit in the morning before I get there because I'm going to show up as a better employee because I feel like I've gotten my work done, X, Y, Z, whatever. Like maybe that's it. So I think just trying to be honest and then make sure you're mindful that other people are going to be doing the same thing. And um, being that person who's really advocating for a hybrid option to make sure everybody's included making sure you're that person who, you know, isn't setting the super early or late meeting for commute time, just being flexible and giving other people a break. And I think out of protection for yourself and your contributions, like just making sure you're figuring out ways to uh, maintain that same level of visibility uh, without like the water cooler chats or, you know, being in somebody's face all day, every day, like whether that is, you, you know, I'm somebody who I tell my manager, you let me know when I'm communicating too much, because I will just blow up the in- email inbox. I want people to know what I'm doing, how I'm thinking about things for two reasons. One, I want to make sure that, you know, there's a paper trail of everything that I'm doing and contributing for the organization, but also in case they have something throw it and contribute to make it better. So, you know, just finding ways to make sure that you have that, those constant touch points, regardless of whether you're in the office or behind your computer screen. You talked about like being radically transparent because we're all human and I love that, but I struggle with that because I feel like I get guilty when I am radically honest with my boss. Like Jordan and I were talking about this when we were prepping for this. I was saying, well, like yesterday, I would start having a panic attack like at work at like 4.30, but then I was scared to go to my boss, even though my boss is so kind and welcoming and understanding, but I was scared to be like, hey, I'm really anxious. I want to go home because on the outside, I look completely fine and it's 4.30. So in my head, I'm like, well, she 
might understand, but she also might just think that I'm trying to like, you know, dip early. But also they're always like, oh, come whenever. It's so flexible. But then when everyone else on my team is like staying until five or six and I feel pressured to, even though I finish my work. So I struggle with feeling guilty or if I am transparent, I feel like people think I'm being dishonest. Maybe it's like an imposter syndrome sort of thing. I wonder if you have any like tips for that or like insight on that, how to deal with that, because that's something that I personally really struggle with. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that uh, first and foremost. And I think so I am also a very anxious person uh, and have clinical anxiety. And so that's something that I open up in the book, but I think I almost have it on the other side of the coin in the sense of like, I am so anxious often that I feel like unless I let people know and kind of, and you know, it's not that I necessarily wear a t-shirt into every meeting, like, Hey, I'm anxious or Hey, I have anxiety. But for me, um, it's almost like if people aren't aware, I think I start to overthink in the sense of like, okay, if I don't, if I'm not transparent with my manager, like, Hey, I often am anxious and that's why I might act X, Y, Z way. Um, for me, it's almost that it, that, that creates more anxiety of the fact that they don't know when I might be acting. Mm -hmm. It might, it might spill over in ways that I don't intend for it to. Um, so anxiety acts differently for everybody. And I think in the book, what I mentioned, any tips on how I've approached managing mental health in the workplace, I say, you know, this is what has worked for me and take or leave it. I appreciate that also, you know, just like who I am and my identity, you know, what I feel comfortable saying or voicing the work place could be radically different from somebody who holds different identity groups and, you know, context and identity all plays a part. So all of that aside, you know, just very high level, what I would say for advice is just try to think through different scenarios. And I think that's the approach overall I take with the book is I'm not really like, this is what you should do, or this is advice, but it's just trying to help bring everything up a level. So like, in the situation you just played out, what if your colleagues that are staying until five or six are doing so, A, because they're looking around, everybody else is staying until five or six, and they have that same guilt or anxiety? What if it's because they couldn't log on until noon that day because of their hybrid work situation? You know, what if your manager is there hoping, dang, I wish everyone would go home so I could? Like, you just, you never know where other people are at or why people are doing things, why people are staying as late as they are, why people send emails at midnight, you know? There are different ways to quantify like your productivity and your value as an employee beyond just like the hours you clock in, what time of day you're sending emails, how many emails you send, you know, there's and it, it is hard and it's a muscle to like get into that habit of just, you know, being a little bit more upfront and never push yourself to do something that you're uncomfortable with, especially when it comes to anything that has to deal with your mental and emotional well-being. But for me, I have found that although I get, I, it still is uncomfortable for me to this day to say like, Hey, I'm anxious. And what you're saying or doing is making me anxious. Or because of that, like, this isn't a good day for me to stay on late. You know, I have realized that the cost of saying that initial, you know, being transparent, um, has a much greater benefit to me of like feeling that release after I'm honest and, um, you know, even being able to log off early. So that's what's worked for me. If um, for some people, if the thought of that is going to contribute, like there, there might be other ways. 
Uh, maybe if it's not telling your manager, just finding a work friend and like confiding in them, you know, just somebody who you know is going to be on your side. Yeah. To at least vent to. So tactically, like, how do you handle that? Did you, when you get hired, did you let your manager know like very early in the process before anything started happening? Or do you do it like when you're feeling anxious and like having kind of a, a moment or all of the above, like getting really tactical? How did you approach that? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, So thinking back to my most ma- recent manager, I initially felt very safe around this individual. That was part of the appeal of me taking the role. I recognize, again, maybe not everybody's in that situation, but I think that played to me feeling a little bit more comfortable um, very early on in our rapport building, to be honest. I think for me, so at the time that I got this manager, I had not only mental health concerns, but physical health concerns because I was in physical therapy three times a week for my like recovery at this time. So I just had an expectation setting up front as, hey, I'm going to be out for a lot of doctor's appointments. I go to therapy weekly. I go to physical therapy three times a week. I go to a therapist once a week. And these are when those appointments will be. Um, I'll let you know, you know, if the schedule changes, but um, this is just what I need to do. And I'll make up the hours later on. And that was just, for me, you know, making it very explicit early on, I would be out for doctor's appointments at least four times in a week. That's where I kind of had the in there, you know, if it's not so cut and dry that way. And it's a little bit more of like, hey, I'm having a panic attack today, or I'm feeling overly anxious today, or I'm in a depressive episode today, how do I deal with that? You know, in the past, again, I've just like opened up saying it's not a it's not a great day for me. I've also found ways to like infuse it with humor early early on. Like that's something that I like to do is so just finding ways where I can just sign in a joke like, yeah, if I'm not so anxious or that gives me anxiety. But, um, you know, it's difficult, right? Because, again, like everybody has degrees of comfortability. I am somebody where you know, work means a lot to me. It's a big part of my identity. So I think maybe because of that, I feel more comfortable being transparent with other parts of who I am because work is such a big one for people who prefer a degree of separation, maybe viewing it a little bit more objectively or just saying like, hey, I do have medical concerns and you can just keep it very high level like that. That might cause me to step away from my desk or might cause me to like abruptly end the day or something. And then If um, you take that approach and want to be a little bit more ambiguous, you could even go through HR if it's really awkward or uncomfortable to talk to your manager directly. Those are all those are all good tips. It's I think sometimes with these things, it's so much easier said than done because I'm like, yeah, those are all so good. And I totally agree. And my boss is so open and understanding. And then I get in the moment. And like yesterday, it was 4.30 and I was anxious. I'm just going to fake work until 30 for 30 more minutes and have an anxiety attack here <laughs> and still feel anxious about leaving before everyone else, even though like realistically, you're right. I don't think no one's tracking my comings and goings. Like also, something that's helped me is just like no one actually cares as much about you as they think as you think they do. And I've kind of like accepted the mantra where it's like, I know I'm doing my work, one, And I know I'm going above and beyond too. And so if someone has a problem with me leaving at 4.30 because I'm anxious or first of all, they can say it to me. And second of all, like if they do, then I'm like, I'm anxious and they don't understand that. Then they get somewhere I don't want to work too. So it's all about 
I need to build the courage to be more honest in those moments. But I think those are all good tips. Even if I, you know, just like setting the scene beforehand, like in a one-on-one with my boss and being like, hey, just so you know, like I do make jokes about it casually, but I don't, I've never had a serious conversation about it with my boss. So maybe if I were like, hey, this is actually something I really do struggle with and it's hard for me to tell you in the moment, but just so you can like know in future things, if I leave at 4.30, it's probably because I'm just having an anxiety attack or maybe regardless, like if it's a problem for you, just tell me. Like how you were saying, if I email too much, just tell me. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm totally cool to make adjustments, but like I I think I just get so in my head about what everyone else is maybe thinking about my behavior and yeah. they're probably not thinking about my behavior at all. <laughs> I think sometimes like what I have recognized is nine out of 10 times when I'm thinking that like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be upfront about my performance this week because I'm just really down about it. Nine out of 10 times my manager said, Brooke, I haven't noticed anything. I, that to me is always a wake up call. And those are kind of the, you know, I, I talked to my therapist about evidence gathering and those are the moments that I note down as, okay, you know, this probably is a, it is bigger in my head than maybe what it is in reality. But um, yeah, I think what you said was beautiful, Autumn. That's a great way to handle it or not handling it at all. You know, that's something that I always say in the book, like really and truly, if you don't feel comfortable being honest, or again, you want that to create separation, it's easier just to deal with it. Um, not doing it anything at all is totally your prerogative. And it's a very acceptable reaction to, you know, a lot of things. Yeah, I feel like you can just wait until if it's a problem, they'll say something about it first, like Mm -hmm. for sure. I kind of want to go into this is like on the same note. You talk about the first fuck up, the first big mistake, and how do you navigate mental health in the first big fuck up? Because that making a mistake at work is the most like gut wrenching, awful thing. And so I would love if you could like go into more details about the big first fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Big. Oh my gosh. Fucking up is really hard for me. Like I I hard cringe to this day when I make a mistake. And um, there is a little bit of ego in it for me. Like, you know, I just, I don't want to fuck up. And um, having that conversation with myself of like, hey, there's a little bit of ego here and you need to um, kind of tone that down. But I think also like I, I hate to disappoint and there's a lot of that running in the background too. So the story of my first fuck up um, had to do with numbers, which is really painful for me because I grew up uh, pretty much assuming like anything numbers, anything STEM related, I'm just not good at. And um, that was that. So the fact that my big first fuck up had to do with budget was especially um, just painful to experience. But uh, what I detail in the book is you know, I made this mistake. It was truly an honest mistake. It was just, a, um, I had been handed something when I had started. So something was passed on to me. I was catching up on the detail, how the spreadsheet was organized. Um, so it was really easy for me to overlook what I did. Uh, that's me like practicing grace with my old self now. But um, at the time I recognized it, I'm like, fuck, I have to tell my manager this. It has to do with money. It has to do with stipends for perspective or for future interns housing. So I'm like, I can't not give somebody this that they think they're getting. So, you know, I felt like, especially uncomfortable that it was somebody's, you know, potential livelihood on the line. So what I did in the moment after freaking out, uh, was figure out, okay, I have to tell my manager this, 
I have to own this and say I mis- I made a mistake. Um, so those are the things that I have to do. And I also need to come with solution in place because I know it's going to, you know, maybe that's selfish because it's going to soften the blow for me. Like I'm going to feel much better if I thought through to the end of how to fix this. But, you know, that's also showing that I care and I can react quickly. And that while it's a, you know, a, a mini fuck up, it's reprimandable. Like we can, we can fix it. And that's what I ended up doing. And, you know, um, I think sometimes like, I don't know, maybe we still have this like, this like grade school in mind or like, you know, we think of our managers as like parents and like, oh, I'm going to get scolded. Like you really shouldn't be getting scolded in the workplace. Like, so I don't know what we expect when we go in, but um, it ended up being fine and kind of washing over. And something that I practice or something that I mentioned in the book that's really helped me is um, when it comes to the smaller fuck ups. So things like, oh, I stepped over somebody talking in a meeting, or I honest to God forgot somebody off of this email, or I misspelled somebody's name, like, for those like smaller fuck ups, stop apologizing. Like there are, there's a point where you know, everybody's making honest mistakes. And like perfection shouldn't be a standard perfection's a construct, like many things. So we definitely shouldn't hold ourselves or anyone else to it. So For those smaller things, like stop apologizing, which will do two things. It'll one, remove a little bit of angst, especially if you're somebody who errs on the side of anxious. Um, You know, you're not having to apologize because apologizing might mean that there's guilt behind it. And, you know, we're removing that for the small little blips. And then two, it's going to make your apologies for the things that actually require an apology. It's going to make that much more meaningful and intentional. And so that's the advice that I give for fucking up is like when it's the little stuff, like the little stuff used to kill me when I first started. Like I would, it, it was debilitating if I, you know, left somebody off an email, um, you know, and it's just like, that's energy that could be repurposed into ending your workday early. That could be repurposed into going to out with a colleague after work, like so many other things um, that are more meaningful than just like spinning your wheels. So um, that's one of the biggest, I guess, like in more insightful things, I, from my point of view, from the fuck up chapter is like, you gotta stop apologizing for the small stuff and practice apologizing very intentionally for the bigger stuff. I love that. I, I mean, I think a lot of people have like, maybe not crippling work anxiety, but like, I really think there's so like, I just think how many times I read over an email and like, make sure it's perfect and like, go back and delete exclamation marks and like, make sure my tone is clear. Like I'm positive, but not too positive and like, not girly and like, not too casual. And like, I am such an overthinker when it comes to all of those things. And I'm really, really working on not apologizing. And it's so hard. I have to like actively fight every instinct. I remember I just wrote this email and it was a beautiful email. Like I will take claim for that. I was like asking, I was asking this team to join in on a project. I gave them like a whole recap of everything that had been going on in the project so far. And it was like outlined and clear to read, but a lot of information. And it took every fiber of my entire being to not end with, sorry for the long email. (laughs) I was like, I had, I like wrote it out and deleted it and then wrote it back and deleted it and like looked at it with the sorry for the email and then like looked at it without it to like see which one looked better. And finally I sent it with the sorry for the long email. (laughs) And I still, I still am just so like regretful because one of the things that my manager pointed out to me is she's like, you're 
preemptively allowing them to be mad at you for something that they wouldn't have been mad at you for anyway. And then they're going to think, should I be annoyed that this was a long email? Like, oh yeah, that is kind of annoying. And I got this piece of advice that I think is really helpful to this moment and would have been helpful in that moment is like reframing your apologies into thank yous and like saying thank you for whatever I want from you. So instead of saying like, sorry, this is coming in a bit delayed, like thank you for your patience with this. And that's been helpful. But I do think kind of what you were saying, like it becomes bigger and it becomes such a larger part of your day if you're apologizing for like something so small that people are probably just scrolling over and like don't really care about and like aren't really mad. Um, But I think that's great advice. Um, The other thing that I want to get into is kind of on the same vein, knowing your value as an early in career employee, like one of the reasons that that comes up is because part of the reason I said sorry in this email is because it was to a bunch of people a lot higher than me. And I was like, I'm not worth your time. Like that was what I was feeling. So how have you grappled with or managed like understanding your worth as an early in career employee and like managing up and working with other people who are maybe more senior than you are? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's one that I spend. Um, so one of my personal favorite chapters in the book is uh, called This Ain't It. And it talks about when I realized I wanted to shift careers and why this ties into value is because I had time and time again, this, this internal struggle of like, should, who am I to know I want something different? And who am I to know that I can do this job that's in a totally different domain than what I studied in school than what I've ever done before. And uh, it's a really hard conversation, but it's one that I'm like, I'm so passionate about trying to, you know, spread the good word to people in our age and people who are coming up the tracks. It's like, like anything. And I I think you were, I think I actually heard this on one of the podcast episodes um, (laughs) I was listening to, but somebody mentioning like they hired you you know, like they, they picked you for the job. Like you didn't, you didn't sit here and you didn't like, you know, like, you know, plead and say, I'll do it for free. And you interviewed, you went through the ranks like anyone else and they picked you. And yes, when you're first, especially let's talk recent grads. So just out of school, when Mm -hmm. you don't have any experience other than internship, you know, what, what value do you bring to a firm. It's not going to be expertise. It's not going to be eight years of expertise. That's not why you're there. Um, so just figuring out exactly what the value is that you add, um, I think can help. And whether this is something that you actually sit down and do like a physical writing exercise, or you just kind of think through, I think shaping, like kind of shaping your perspective of what value means um, for you and where you are in your career journey versus anybody else. And so in new hires, they're looking for people with work ethic. They're working, looking for, and this is, you know, just general, it could vary per company, per role, but work ethic, enthusiasm and energy, um, teachable. Like if you can show that you are pliable, that you can be, you can adapt quickly. Like those are attributes that they're looking for and junior talent. And, um, they're, when I say they, I mean corporations, but, um, so (laughs) fixing that, like, wrapping your mind around that. Um, and then knowing too, like in, in my circumstance specifically, 
you know, when I was having this imposter syndrome and saying, hey, moving into this new domain, it's really scary. They could just hire someone off the street who's done this before. Recognizing that, like, having an outside eye and a mind that doesn't think alike is actually really beneficial to a team. And I would debate, like, especially in my context, somebody from a non-STEM, non-technical background entering a technical team, my strengths are very different. And it's my strengths are around, you know, thinking of the follow-on effect. How are we packaging things appropriately to a wide audience? I'm looking at concision. I'm looking at process efficiency. I'm looking at governance. Like, are we, are we, you know, hitting all of the reviews that we need to before deploying this project? Whereas they're looking and focused on the technical detail. And so taking that example of just like you're a different person slated against uh, different talents and skill sets. And that actually is really helpful because you can ask questions coming from a place that nobody else is like the same goes for early talent versus tenured talent. You know, you are thinking of, you have a totally untainted view of the world. So when you're looking at how we're working, like how effective are we working? You know, are we, making the most out of our meetings? Are we using the latest and greatest tool stack? Is there a better way to distill this information? Um, You know, we're the TikTok generation, like we get the bite size information thing, you know, some other generations might not. And so just understanding that exactly what is probably making you self-conscious about yourself, like I am new, I don't have experience how am I possibly valued by this firm? Those are the exact strengths that you're going to want to play to. Um, And it's, again, it's uncomfortable, but you just kind of have to do this like in the mirror exercise, like the mantras, you know, fake it till you make it, if you will. But um, I think, you know, trying to change your perspective of what valuable means and looks like um, and recognizing that it's, you know, different for different people. And then also finding people in the organization who remind you of that. So like seeking out tenured talent that is going to pull you up to opportunities because they see you and they see the value that they bring or asking, you know, whether it's formal or informal mentors you make like, hey, like, why am I here on this project? Can you remind me like, um, you know, just finding that camaraderie and those friends in work to help you see it when you you might be losing sight of it yourself. Yeah, I think I totally agree that when you're young in career, they value a fresh set of eyes so much more than you think. Like I'll be in a big meeting and we're talking about a problem and I think the solution is so easy. I'm like, why don't we just do it? Like, why don't we do this? Like, this is such a good idea. And everyone's like, oh my God, like, you're right. We should just do that. Why haven't we done that? We haven't even thought about that. Like, you're so good at so many ideas. And I'm like, I just, I, some of these things just there, when you're not in the box, you're not in that career, that role for four or five years, these things just like click so much easier for you. And, um, I've, I've really learned that in the last like two years of working, like just saying the ideas that you think, even if you think it seems easy in your head, like doesn't mean that it's been thought, doesn't mean that it's been said on the table. Something I really want to talk about on the same note of like being young and career and knowing your value at work is knowing like when when you know you're ready for promotion how to navigate that conversation especially if that's like if you're not being a platform if not being given a platform to discuss it 
or if you're being shot down. Like that's what happened to me in my previous role. I was doing a job that was two promotions above me and still being told that I wasn't quite there yet. And I know a lot of jobs want you to show you're capable of promotion by doing the next role or like taking on bigger tasks that are aligned with the next role. But how long do you perform at that level before being like, okay, I'm ready. I need it now. I want this much more money from you and I want this promotion. Or say you're interviewing, you have a counteroffer. Like how do you use a counteroffer as leverage without like rubbing the company the really wrong way? I've really struggled navigating the promotion conversation and um, any insight you have there would be so, so appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is definitely a a tricky one. Um, And like very contextually dependent. I'll I'll start back by um I'll start answering kind of still continuing on a little bit more tactically about value. So I think my first answer was kind of about like how do you recognize your value? It was a little bit more anecdotal, but tactically, um, and this can help especially if you're someone like sometimes I struggle with just like worth and value both inside and outside of work. So what do you do? You want to make sure that you're able to quantify the value that you're bringing. So. Um, And this is where like noting back to my paper trail that I constantly send my manager, hey, this is exactly what I'm doing, being able to quantify and track like the contributions that you're making um, and making sure you're doing so not just in like a, hey, I did this, but hey, what I did yielded this impact or this amount of value and making sure whatever way works for you. If it's all these ad hoc emails that you're sending to your manager, like weekly, biweekly, monthly updates um, or as projects close, if it's emails and you can just kind of like put those in a folder and look back at it towards promotion timeframe, like that's cool. If it works for you to actually have a running doc or Google sheet where you're tracking like much more intensively, do that. Whatever works for you, make sure that you're consistently like from day one, trying, you are quantifying, you're tracking the value and the impact that the value that you've brought has had. So then when it comes to the point in time when you're like, you're starting to get that feeling of like, hey, I think I'm doing way more than what I'm getting paid to do. Um, Or like, even if it's not that, and you're just like, hey, I think I've been doing a really great job. I do feel well compensated and respected, but I want the title to match or I want, you know, this like analyst two at the end of my title, because that's the next ring in my trajectory here. Like whatever the sentiment might be, you know, when you're arriving at that point where you want to open this conversation, um, I think it's always easy to make sure that um, it's always easy to have this conversation before the perfect promo. So perfect promo is typically semi-annual, but conversations around perfect promo and career trajectory, you should make sure are happening with your manager all the time. And also like, you know, not to be so repetitive, but these are things that I just like really truly believe in being transparent and upfront and managing that expectation from the gate saying like, Hey, I'm someone who like, I really value my growth trajectory. And this is what I see for myself very generally for the next one to three years here, whatever it might be. Like if that's your opening conversation with your manager and saying, Hey, every once a month we check in weekly I want to devote one of our check-ins to growth and like career path and making sure that you are reflecting back with your manager and looking over this running list of value 
much more granularly than the semi-annual horizon. I think that is going to set everybody up for success. Your manager, you, um, for the semi-annual and end of year promo review processes, because there, there should be no surprises if you're talking about it all the time. Um, so when you feel like you don't have a platform to do that, I think, so when you feel like you don't have a platform, what I would say is if there's anybody else in your leadership chain. So, and again, this varies. And I, so Perf and Promo in a medium-sized fintech company that I was at previously versus Perf and Promo for a company of large scale, um, like I'm noticing a lot of differences. So again, it's going to look really differently depending on the org you're in. Realizing, understanding who exactly it is that um, is the ultimate, I guess, approver of a promo. Is it your direct manager? It Does it go up to your skip level even higher than that? Do you think you would have success approaching somebody else in the chain? If it, it's just really tricky when it comes to not having a platform because it also depends what means most to you. So, and a lot of what I talk about in the book is it's just what you think you value before you enter a company and what you actually value in practice are going to look really differently. So maybe pay, you think before you accept a job, hey, pay is really, really important. When you get in there, you realize, I would rather make 20000 less and be really fulfilled every single day. It's just going to look and feel differently. And so I bring that example in to say, like, if you truly feel like you don't have a platform to speak out and say, hey, I do deserve a promo at this time, maybe it's maybe it's worth going up the leadership chain or maybe it's worth saying, like, actually, you know what, this is all I need to know about my future at this company. And it's time to look externally. And so um it's just going to be contextual like anything else. I know. I When I was at my previous role, I wish I would have gone up the leadership chain to the man who was responsible for my role. But that it was so like a negative culture that that was so like, do not reach out to him. He is way too busy. He has so much going on. I think all, honestly all for the best because I wanted to get out. I was not meant for that company, not meant for that role. But yeah, it's it's so hard, especially if there's like a like it feels like there's a ceiling that you you can't reach out to that person. But then I guess you're right. It's just like it's you got to move on. <laughs> it's not the right. It's not a good fit. Clearly, if things aren't working out. How say you did look outside of the company, but you love that company. You do feel like you see a future there. You just want more money. You want a, a promotion, and you have a counter offer from a different company. How do you bring that to your current company? Be like, look, they're offering me, you know. 20,000 more. Can you match me? I, I'm so scared that that would like just make them want to fire me, even though I don't think that's even the case. But I, how would you manage that? Like, yeah, I definitely don't think like, especially if you love the company, it's more than likely that they love you back. So they wouldn't want to react negatively if you came to them. And, you know, it's all like when it comes to offers and counter offers and, you know, especially like this is my recruiter context coming in, like it's not unexpected and it's no secret. And if anything, like um, some company cultures have even gone as far as to say, like, I do want all of my direct reports applying and interviewing elsewhere because I want to know that they chose this seat every day of the week over something else. So it depends, you know, not maybe not everywhere is that radical about it, but um it's, you know, what I'm trying to say is that it's common. It's like, it's a part of corporate life. And though it feels kind of scary, especially the first few times you do it, um, 
it's a, it's to be expected to a degree. So I think like first knowing that, like, okay, I can do this. I can talk about an offer, a counter um, to kind of amp yourself up. But when you actually enter that conversation, like, again, if it's somewhere you really want to be, they likely want, they likely feel the same exact way. So just positioning it as in, hey, I, you can even say like, I wasn't looking, I was approached. That happens, like, especially in the market as hot as it is now, depending on the skill set, people reach out to you every single day. So you could say, I was approached. I entertain this just to see, um, you know, what else is out there. And it came to offer. And I realized like through this experience that externally, you know, I have this data point that externally I'm valued at this rate. I love everything else about being here, but I am concerned about the disparity I'm seeing with what I'm at currently and what's available in the market. Like, is there anything that can be done? Let your manager know that, you know, reaching this level of compensation is really important to you and your overall satisfaction here. Um, just reiterating that you want to be there. Um, just not positioning it as an ultimatum unless it is one, right? So like, it's totally appropriate to say, hey, matches are leaving. But if you do that, you need to be prepared that they might say, okay, I'm so sorry, but we can't. And then you kind of have to be prepared to say like, all right, well, I said I'm leaving. So I guess I'm leaving. So, <laughs> but you know, it, I guess it just, again, it matters. Like what is the most important thing to you in that moment? Is it retaining this job you really like and this company you really like, or is it the dollar? And I think that um, how greatly you're weighing one or the other will guide you to the way you want to position. Like, is this an ultimatum or is it more so just like a another data point you've collected? I am like going to, re-listen and write down exactly how you worded that because you worded that so well and in like such a non it wasn't like threatening it was very professional um good job that was literally on the fly a plus <laughs> like I'm like that to my next like um conversation about this but I wanted to go back quickly to your point about like setting up career conversations and I feel the same that I really value my trajectory at the company I'm at right now. I see a pretty clear trajectory and I'm once again, have very bad anxiety and <laughs> am so nervous to open the floodgates for feedback, which I understand is like a very, you need to be able to take feedback. How have you handled or like built up a thicker skin or been able to create space where you feel okay getting feedback and it doesn't completely impact your entire day. Like today I literally had a minor piece of feedback from my manager. I don't even know if I'd call it feedback. And I had to take like an hour lunch just to like get my head back into work mode because it's, it affects me so much. <laughs> so I'm curious, like if you've had that issue and like how you can handle kind of having anxiety and having these things and also being open to feedback. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, uh... That's a really good question. Um, and also totally relate to the taking an hour lunch because I am the same way. Like if it catches me off guard, then it's, uh, I, I need a minute. Um, so things that I've done um, to help in this regard, I think first and foremost is the revelation that not all, you don't have to take every piece of feedback that you get, right? Like a lot of it is, perspective like what there are some very so let's take um communication as an example like effective communication something that most everybody needs for every type of job to some degree there are some very basic like 
yes, this is an example of effectively communicating. And there are some very basic examples of like, you definitely shouldn't have communicated that way. But anything else, like what, what separates, you know, good communication to stellar communication, like some of that can be kind of subjective, like depending on how the person on the receiving end prefers to receive comms, what they believe to be concise versus not, you know, there can be a lot of gray area within. So I think like appreciating that feedback um, of any sort is, you know, I believe as cheesy as it sounds like two degrees a gift because, you know, somebody's taking enough time out of their day to let you know versus like just saying, I don't care if Brooke never grows in this area. But also knowing like when you truly believe or disagree with a piece of feedback you're getting or you have an additional piece of context like, okay, well, like you're only coming in with half of the picture and that's why maybe you're offering this piece of advice. Like I think that that's at least helped me like give myself a little bit of breathing room is like, I'm going to listen to this feedback. I'm going to sit on it. But if I really feel like some dissonance there with what has been said, I can put this in the pile of like, thank you, but I'm not going to implement it. And so I think that has worked wonders for me as somebody who, you know, takes a lot of pride in their work output. So feedback can get really hairy, but Also, um, so that's kind of point one. And then point two, like, especially when it comes to your direct relationship with your direct manager, um, I think bringing up psychological safety and just asking like, hey, um, can we go through this exercise? Like, I want to know from your point of view, how you prefer to receive feedback when you prefer to receive feedback. And then if you don't mind, like, I would like to do the same just so, um, you know, I want to make sure that I'm opening like a free channel for feedback to occur in real time. It's important to me to know that I'm growing, but I want to make sure like I'm, I'm telling you up front um, the times of day, the method of delivery that are going to make me most susceptible or most like receptive to what you're saying. And just seeing if they would be open to that exercise of like, you know, these conversations can feel kind of weird and silly, but they, it's such a relief once you know, because you, you're likely offering your manager feedback too. And you know, they're a person and they might not like getting it out of nowhere. They might not like getting it in the morning. Like you never know too. So always opening it that way. And like a, Hey, can you share? And then I'll share too. Might, might help. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, I think it's funny navigating the workplace as an early in career employee. And I'm, I think this book is like such a necessary, um, like resource for people because, like you said, it's like so much more than just the tasks of your job that you have to figure out. It's so hard. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, if you want to take a minute to just kind of pimp yourself out and tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get your book, and yeah, just just shout yourself out. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So Professional is um, available on Amazon. You can purchase it there. If you visit, uh, I guess I can send you the web link, but it's uh, com is the landing page for the book. It'll give you a little bit more information about where it is, the direct link to buy it, a link to my Instagram, things like that. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, We can chat there. I always love direct feedback on the book, like again, on, you know, timely ending on feedback, but I really, and seriously, if there are things like readers 
loved or didn't um, or think were missed. I like hearing that from any and everyone. So I, I welcome you to DM me, message on LinkedIn, things of that nature. But um, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.